0: Chapter Twenty Four of Regiment of Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Regiment of Women by Clemens Dane. Chapter Twenty Four. The sudden death of Louise Denny had shocked each in her degree, every member of the staff. The general view was that such a deplorable accident could and should have been impossible. Everyone remembered having long ago thought that the old-fashioned windows were unsafe, and having wondered why precautions had never been taken. Everyone, the first hour over, canvassed the result of the unavoidable inquest, and speculated whether any one would be censored for carelessness. The younger mistresses were so sure that it was nobody's business to be on duty in the dressing room at that particular hour that they spent the rest of the hushed, horror-stricken day in telling each other so, proclaiming, a trifle too insistently, their relief that they at least had nothing, however remote, to do with the affair, while inwardly they ransacked their memories to recall, if perchance some half-heard order, some forgotten promise of standing substitute or relieving guard could, at the last moment, implicate them but the task of quieting and occupying the frightened children and of clearing away as far as might be all traces of the dress rehearsal was at least distraction on the heads of the school real and nominal the strain was immeasurably greater it was first truly felt indeed many hours later old miss marsham in whom the shock had awakened something of her old-time decision of character had conducted the interview with the decorously grieving parents with sufficient dignity had overseen the temporary resting-place of the dead child had communicated with doctors lawyers and officials but the spurt of energy had subsided with the necessity for it she had retired late at night to her own apartments and the ministrations of her efficient maid a broken old commander facing tremulously the calamity that had befallen her life-work foreseeing and exaggerating its effect on the future of the school, planning feverishly her defense from the gossip that must ensue. An accident. Of course, an accident. A terrible, yet unforeseeable accident. That was the point. At all costs it must be shown that it was an accident, pure and simple, with never a whisper of negligence against authority or underling. But she was an old woman. She needed, she supposed bitterly, a shock of this kind to humble her into realizing that her day was over she had been driving with slack reins this many a long year she had known it and hoped that no one shared her knowledge and none had known so there came this pitiful occurrence to advertise her weakness to the world the poor child ah the poor little child there had been a lack of supervision no doubt some such gross carelessness as she in her heyday, would never have tolerated, and she was grown too old, too feeble to hold inquiry, to dispense strict justice. She must depend on the lieutenants who had failed her, to hush the matter up, to make the administration of the school appear blameless. They could do that, she did not doubt, and so she must be content. But in the day of her strength she would not have been content. But she was old. It was time for her to abdicate, She must put her affairs in order, name her successor. Claire Hartle, or the secretary, she supposed. They knew her ways. There was that bright girl who had faced her today with a little child in her arms. What was her name? Daughter or niece of some old pupil of her own. She could more easily have seen her in her seat than either of her vice-regents. So young and strong and eager. She had been like that once. Now she was a weak old woman and because of her weakness a little child lay dead in her house. Yes, Martha might put her to bed. Why not? She was very tired. Henrietta Vigors had also her anxieties. She had so long claimed the position of virtual head that there was no doubt in her own mind that other people would consider her as responsible as if she had been the actual one. She worried incessantly. Should she have had bars put up to those old-fashioned windows? she who was responsible for all the household arrangements ought she not to have foreseen the danger and guarded against it and there was the matter of the dressing-room mistress for the school machinery she had made herself even more pointedly responsible she should have arranged for someone to oversee the children but the dressing-room had been a temporary one and she had overlooked the necessity yet if someone had been in the room the accident could impossibly have happened she felt that she would be lucky to escape public censure; that loss of prestige in the eyes at least of the headmistress was inevitable but the more or less selfish perturbation as distinct from the emotion of sheer humanity that was aroused by the death of the little schoolgirl and the two older women was as nothing to the sensation of sick dismay that it awoke in claire hardle she too through the night that followed on the accident lay awake till sunrise considering her position she was stunned by the unexpectedness of the catastrophe a little grieved for the loss of louise but above all intensely and quite selfishly frightened she felt guilty she remembered remorselessly enlightened the afternoon the expression in louise's eyes and not for one instant did she share the general belief in the accidental nature of her death her conscience would not allow her the comfort of such self-deception later she might lull it to sleep again but for the moment it was awake and her master this same keen-witted conscience of hers this quintessence of her secret admirations and considered opinions her epicurean appreciation of what was guileless and beautiful and worthy coexisting as it did with the intellectualized sensuality of her imperious and carnal personality was no small trial to Clare. Though it could not sway her decisions nor influence her actions by one hair's breadth. it was at least cynically active, as now, to prick and fret at her peace. It was, indeed, at the root of the whimsical irritability that, for all her charm, made her an impossible housemate. Essentially, her attitude to life was simple. It was an orange, to be squeezed for her pleasure, It must serve her, but she owed it, therefore, no duty. She found that she achieved a maximum of pleasurable sensations by following the dictates of that mind, which is the mouthpiece of body, while indulging, as Lucullus ate turnips, in austere flirtations with that other mind, which is the mouthpiece of spirit. So she served mammon, or rather, she allowed mammon to serve her, but she was, on occasions, critically interested in God, and this was her undoing. Could she have been content to be frankly selfish, she might have been happy enough, but her very interest in the kingdom of heaven had created her conscience and had laid her open to its attacks. She ignored it, and it made her wretched. She compromised with it and became a hypocrite. She resented the death of Louise because it challenged her whole scheme of life. She was furiously angry with the dead child for what she felt to be an indictment of her legitimate amusements. Louise, so meek and ineffectual, had yet been able to steal a march on her, had stabbed in the back and run away, beyond reach of Claire's retaliation. Louise had fooled her. She, Claire, proud of her insight, her complete knowledge of character, her alert intuition, had yet had no inkling of what was passing in that childish mind. If she had guessed, however vaguely, she could have taken measures, have scourged the mere suggestion of such monstrous rebellion out of that subject's soul, but Louise, secure in her insignificance, had tricked her, planned her sure escape, but how unhappy she must have been. In a sudden revulsion of feeling, Claire grew faint with pity as she tried to realize the child's state of mind during the past months. Her thoughts went back to the Christmas day they had spent together. She had been happy enough then. Half sincerely she tried to puzzle out the change in Louise, the gradual deterioration that had led to the tragedy. Had she been to blame? Louise had grown tiresome, and she had snapped her. There was the thing in a nutshell. If she was to be so tender of the feelings of all the silly girls who sentimentalized over her, where would it end? At all? Poor little Louise. She had been really fond of her at the beginning. She had thought for a time that she might even supplant Alwyn. But Louise had disappointed her. She had let her work go to the dogs. All her originality and charm fizzled out. She had ceased to be interesting, and she, Claire, had naturally been bored and had shown it. Why couldn't the child take it quietly? If Louise had only known and had conducted herself with tact, Clare had been preparing to be nicer to her again. She had been deeply interested in her performance of the morning, had recognized its uncanny sincerity, had thought, with a distinct quickening of interest, that Louise was recovering herself at last, and that it might be as well to take her in hand again. Oh, she had been full of benevolent impulses. But then Louise had been tiresome again, had stopped her and made a scene. She hated scenes at least, with a laugh, scenes that were not of her own devising. She supposed she should have recognized that the child was overwrought, terribly overwrought by the emotions aroused by such an interpretation as she had insisted upon giving. She ought never to have been allowed to play it like that. That was Alwyn's doing. Alwyn had persuaded Claire to leave Louise to her own devices. Alwyn was so headstrong she hoped that Alwyn would never need to realize how much she was to blame. Here she became aware that her conscience was convulsed with cynical laughter. She flushed in the darkness, her opportune sense of injury increasing. Alwyn might well be distressed. If any awkward questions should be asked, Alwyn might find herself uncomfortably placed. People would wonder that she had not noticed how unbalanced Louise was growing. Everyone knew how intimate— how ridiculously intimate she and Louise had become. Alwyn had fussed over her like an old hen, had even on occasion questioned her, Claire's, method with her. She must have known what was in Louise's mind. Yet Claire had no doubt that people would be only too ready to accuse her, rather than Alwyn, of criminal obtuseness. Henrietta Vigors, for instance. Henrietta would be less prejudiced than many others, though. She was no friend to Alwyn. It might do no harm to talk over the matter with Henrietta Vickers. A word or two would be enough. Of course it would be considered an accident. But if by any chance, vague suspicions were rife, a judicious talk with Henrietta would have served, at least, to prevent Clare from being made their object. She had her enemies, she knew. Alwyn, with her easy popularity, had none save Henrietta. A few waspish remarks from Henrietta would not hurt Alwyn. Claire would protect Alwyn from serious annoyance, of course. If the mistresses, the school, oh, if the whole world turned against Alwyn, Claire would make it up to her. What did Alwyn want, after all, with anyone but Claire? The less the world gave Alwyn, the more she would be content with Claire, the more entirely she would be Claire's own property. It was a good idea she would certainly speak to Miss Vigors. She was outlining that conversation till she fell asleep. End of chapter 24 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona